I got the thumbs up. All right. Two minutes. Okay, two minutes. I didn't plan on an extra two minutes. I don't have any comedy rooting in. Yeah, I was told last week that I was funny, so my wife disagrees with that. Um, I don't try to be funny. It's just God's curse upon my life, I think, or my wife's life, as the case may be. Good morning, everybody. Come on now. Good morning, everybody. We need to see if the new mic works, right? This is the new mic, so they picked the quietest guy in the building to talk through the new mic. It's awesome. We'll test it out. No? No slides. That's okay. I'll do shadow puppets. It'll be good. All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Dustin Tallman. I am part of the shepherding team here at Redemption. I have been a, a part of the family of Crossway Network for a long, long time. I first went to Mountain View Community Church in Fort Collins in 1993, which tells you a little bit about how old I am and a little bit about how long I've been part of this church family. It is where I first heard the gospel in Weber Junior High School. Um, I had grown up Catholic, and at Mountain View, I heard the gospel for a very real way for the very first time by a strangely angry-looking bald man who was preaching that day. Some of you know who he is. Uh, he saw me walk in with one of the young ladies who was part of his church body and didn't know me, so he was giving me the stink eye the whole time. Didn't feel exactly welcomed, but I did hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a real way, and life has been so much better ever since. This morning, we are going to continue in the Gospel of John. We are opening up our Bibles to chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 15 through 24. And this message I've entitled, A Walk to Remember. A Walk to Remember. This is another one of those passages that for many people is very familiar. Josh last week preached about the feeding of the multitudes. And today is a passage that in similar style gets taught a lot. It shows up in Sunday school a lot. And it's one that I know for me, I kind of gloss over as I read through the gospel. And I have been convicted of that repeatedly this week as I have spent time there, as I have studied, as I continue to, to use the word marinate in God's word, it continues to change my heart. More and more details keep showing up and what started out to be a five-minute sermon, maybe much longer, I hope you brought lunch. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you got a chance to hear Pastor Pat open up the word in chapter 5. And we see Jesus in conversation with the Jewish leaders. And they are taking Jesus to task. They have the nerve to do that because he has healed a man who has been crippled. But he had the nerve to heal him on the Sabbath day. And that railed against the Jewish leaders. They could not abide by that because despite the fact that they recognized the miracle that he had performed, they took him to task on his timing. If he'd waited till Monday morning, everybody would have gotten along just fine. But he had the, the audacity to break the Sabbath and heal a man on the Sabbath. Jesus, in the middle of his defense, as Pat laid out for us, points to five different testimonies that point to who he is. And one of the things that he points to is a witness of works that the Father has given him to do who will testify to who he is. The verse I'll call us to is John chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus, in his defense, says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. And now that's John the Baptist, not John the author of the gospel. 
He continues, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father sent me. The Jewish leaders didn't have a lot to say about that. They could argue with the interpretation of all the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. Well, no, that must mean someone else. They could call the men who had been around Jesus and heard his teaching liars, misguided, crazy. They could take the people who said, well, we heard God speak from heaven and say, this is the guy. And they could discredit them. But it was very, very challenging for the Jewish leaders to say, well, maybe that wasn't really a miracle. Maybe he wasn't really crippled. That witness of works is undeniable and unarguable proof that someone amazing is in their midst. I got to imagine that that quieted their arguments down just a little bit. It's really hard to argue with a man who you've seen laying on the ground for the last 30 years, jumping up and down. Rejoicing in what God has done. We'll see, sadly, as we continue, and many of you know the story, the Jewish leaders just can't be convinced. They can't allow the magnificence of Christ to change their hearts. There are still a lot of people out there today who hear and see what Jesus has done, and they remain in that same place of disbelief, and it is sad. It is heartbreaking. My encouragement is call them to mind today and take away what God would have you take away that you could share with somebody else as we go through. Last week, Josh opened up chapter 6 and he taught through the story of the feeding of the multitudes. Scripture tells us that there were 5,000 men plus their families who had seen the works that Jesus was doing. This witness of works was drawing crowds and masses and masses of people. And Jesus feeds them all. Yet another work that puts him on display. At the end of the chapter last week, or the end of the passage last week, we see that Jesus decides he would like to be left alone. He does not want to go with this bread and fish filled crowd to go be their king. And so he sneaks away, or he, actually he doesn't sneak away. He dismisses the crowd, which I think is a miracle. I think Gary pointed out that redemption group... How miraculous to be able to get away from a crowd of 5,000 people who want to grab you and carry you to town to make you king. But he dismisses the crowd to get away by himself, to have some time with his father. And that's where we will open up this morning. Join me, if you would, in John chapter 6, verses 15 through 24. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat, and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. That's our text for today. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Lord, we thank you for this morning. I just lift up praises to your name. I thank you for the worship team, those two men who faithfully served you and brought our hearts into an amazing place to hear your word and to see your glory on display. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to have the freedom to open your word, the blessing of a fellowship that you died for and called out of darkness, that we might be together, that we might seek your face and praise your name. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified this morning by the words that you have given, by the things that you've given me to say, Lord, would you be put on display and would you touch each of our hearts? Would we walk away from here magnifying your name, cut to the quick of our desire with our desire to obey you and step out in faith? We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's take a closer look of John's account. Again, this is a walk to remember. I didn't realize there was a movie called A Walk to Remember. I haven't watched it. I don't think it relates to this at all. So, um, This story or this account appears both in Matthew and Mark's Gospels. So three of the four Gospels attest to this story. There are a few extra details that Matthew and Mark list that I will add as, as needed or when I think they are helpful there. But I'm going to stick mostly to John's account. So when evening came, Jesus not wishing to be forced into leading an unruly mob of bread and fish filled people, decided that he would be by himself. And in doing this, he sets the stage for the events that are to come. There's some things to consider as we look at this first part of the passage. First, Jesus commanded his disciples to get into their boat and to begin across the sea ahead of him. I believe that our Lord is setting them up for what's to come. In the same way that he asked the guys previously, how are we going to feed all these people? Knowing full well what he was about to do. He says, guys, get in the boat, head out across the sea. That, it's all right. I'll catch up to you. Jesus sets the stage for the miracle that is about to happen because he knows the disciples need to see it and have their lives changed by what he's about to put on display. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus dismissed the crowd. Now, that sounds pretty simple. Those are small words, but think about it. This isn't just me telling everybody at small group, goodbye, we'll see you next week. This is 5,000 men plus their families. I got to thinking about it. That is everybody in my hometown. That's everybody we played in basketball over here and over there and over there. I grew up in small town Colorado. You got to have a lot of towns put together to get 5,000 people. I can't imagine trying to dismiss that kind of crowd without a microphone, without security staff. I can't get a two-year-old to obey what I have to say at my house. And I'm way bigger than she is. Think about the power and the presence of Jesus to be able to say, folks, you need to go home now. You need to disperse. I'm not going to be your king today. Go your way. I think that's another miracle. It's a miracle before the miracle, which I find amazing. The crowd dismissed. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. And so many times, as we see in the life of Jesus, he steps away from the chaos and the noise and the, the 
craziness that surrounded him all the time to go and be alone with the Father. My first conviction as I studied this passage is how often do I step away from the craziness of my day to go be alone with the Lord? When I come home from work, I want to tune out. I want to maybe do origami. I want to turn on the TV. I want to play some silly game that lets my brain just check out. I don't take my alone time to go be with the Lord. If Jesus needed to step away every so often to go be with the Father, how much more do I need to be doing that? And yet I'm convicted that that's something I need to be adopting into my life in a whole lot more common fashion. But back into the passage. The disciples obey their teacher. They get into their boat. They start across the Sea of Galilee in the dark and in weather that probably didn't look too promising for a night voyage. They row on through the night in the wind, and John tells us that they made it three or four miles across the sea, and that puts them a long way from shore, but a long way from home. Matthew and Mark tell us that by the time we see the next set of events, it's between three and six in the morning. These guys have been rowing all night. Now, I grew up in Colorado. We don't have lakes where I came from. I don't know what it's like to row for six or seven hours, but I'm guessing it's hard. They've got a rowing machine at the gym for Pete's sake because it's exercise. So I can't imagine rowing all night through the wind and the waves in a boat full of guys. And yet that's where we see these guys. The wind has come up. It's dark. The waves are beginning to get bigger and taller. And there's danger of swamping the boat, maybe even turning it over. So if you would, put yourselves in these guys' shoes or their sandals as the case may be as we hear what happens next. You're tired. You've had a long day with Jesus. You've interacted with the crowds. You've seen the miracle of him feeding all those people with nothing. You look over in your eyes straight at the baskets of bread and fish that shouldn't be possible. But there they are. There's one for each of you. The storm's gotten worse. Your miraculous lunch isn't sitting too well because you're getting tossed about. But then you see something you could never have imagined would happen. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the waves, in the middle of the sea, you see something. That's someone. Now, you think you're pretty brave. You're a fisherman. You're tough. You've been out on the sea before, but this is just too much. It looks like Whatever that is, is going to pass the boat by, but it's not going far enough away for your liking. The guys are getting worried. They see it too. It's not just you. You're not crazy. The figure begins to get closer. Oh, no. But as it gets near, it begins to look familiar. And then you hear over the wind and the waves the voice of a friend. It is I. Don't be afraid. And suddenly things aren't frightening anymore as you watch your beloved teacher and your friend. You watch Jesus get closer. You take your teacher into the boat, and the minute he sits down, the wind stops. The waves quiet. And more than that, you suddenly find yourself 
right outside of Capernaum at the shore. How did that happen? How many miracles have you seen today, and now you're home? Or at least it's your home away from home, and so you shake your head, and you gather your things, and you follow this remarkable man into town to see what will happen next. That's the night the disciples experienced. And what about the crowd that was left behind? They wake up in the morning and they find that the man that they marveled at and the one they were quick to call the promised prophet, the one that they wanted to make king, is gone. No one knows quite how he left. They watched him go up into the hills to pray. They knew there was only one boat and it left hours ago. Did anybody see him leave? He's gone. All his guys are gone. What are we doing sitting here on the shore? Other boats from the, sea of, from the city of Tiberias sailed up. Maybe these are people hearing about what Jesus had done. Maybe they're following the crowd. But all of these seekers after Jesus say, hey, there's boats. Let's get in them. If you're out for a pleasure cruise in the morning, suddenly you've got 20 extra people in your boat. We're going to Capernaum. We're going to find Jesus. Now, we'll see in the remainder of the chapter that the crowd wasn't necessarily looking for Jesus for the right reasons. But they weren't willing to let him go either. When we open up the Gospel of John again, we're going to see that Jesus had something greater in mind for these folks than another fish sandwich. Let's finish our time together with some things to consider. Some points, some takeaways that have cut me to the quick as I've studied. The first one is, are you awestruck by Jesus? When I first began to study this passage, I was honestly saddened that the miracle that I saw on display did not touch my heart. I'd read the story a lot of times. I just, I guess, took it for granted. I've heard this all before. Where's the wonder? I asked a few other people. I asked my lovely wife. She gave me permission to quote her. She said, well, it doesn't really amaze me either. This is Jesus. Well, of course he can do all these things. But I remain convicted that there needs to be some awe and wonder at seeing Jesus put this kind of power on display. I don't want to live a life in a place where I take him for granted because I've become so familiar with who he is. Or I think I'm familiar with who he is. So are you awestruck? By Jesus. The disciples would certainly have been in awe. Matthew and Mark relate that at first they thought they saw a ghost walking across the water. People don't walk across the water. This must be a ghost. They were terrified. And more than just the obvious, this is a man walking on water. If you don't think that's hard, go home, fill your bathtub up, try to walk across it. Call me if you make it because. I would love to hear about that. Use ice water. That makes it harder. But they were amazed at what they saw. More than just seeing Jesus walk across water, they knew that they were seeing God and only God's power on display. In the Old Testament, over and over and over again, water and the sea and its power is something to be feared. It was a represented chaos, an uncontrollable might that only God himself could control. 
To see Jesus take control over the very sea puts him in a place only God can occupy. Psalm 89, verses 8 through 9, we see, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Only God. One of my favorite passages in Job. I love the book of Job, especially when God shows up and says, felt up like a man. If God ever shows up and tells you to gird your loins like a man, buckle up because you're going to hear some amazing things. Job chapter 38, verses 8 through 11. God's speaking to Job. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Again in Psalm 107. Love this one. Some men went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind and lifted up the waves of the sea. And they mounted up to heaven and went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Jesus puts himself on display in a way that is undeniable as God, and we should stop and take wonder at who he is. Josh opened us up this morning with a passage from Colossians that I was going to read. Part of why I think we take Jesus for granted sometimes is we hear in his word that he is the image of the invisible God, as we heard in Colossians, the firstborn of all creation. Of course he can walk on water. Think about who he is. Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and in, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Folks, we know if you are a believer for any length of time that Jesus is more than just some guy. We know that he is God come to earth to be with his people. That he is the creator and the upholder of all things. Never take for granted the man that you've come to know and the God that has blessed you with knowing him. Moving on. The disciples' obedience placed them in the middle of a miracle. I want you to think about that for a minute. The disciples' obedience put them in the middle of a miracle. At the beginning of the passage, we see that Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and go across the sea without him. Does anyone think that's strange? They're his ride. You don't bring a guy somewhere and lead him, right? That's, that's just bad friendship. But that's what Jesus told them to do. The wind's starting to blow. It's dark. 
it would have been better to wait and leave in the morning when the things were calmed down. Jesus, why would you have us leave now? Did they argue with the Lord? Did they want to know his plans? Did they want to know how he was going to get home? We don't see any of that. But it seems fair that they probably asked a few questions. I know I would have. But in the end, they obeyed the command of their teacher. And they found themselves in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of fearsome circumstances, and ready for the miracle that only Jesus could provide. I've asked myself a few times this week if my obedience and dependence on the Lord puts me in a place to see his power at work. Jesus calls us to follow after him in ways that matter every day, that put us in a place of stepping out in faith every day. At my house right now, you will see an example of this. She's downstairs. She's always loud. She's always wonderful. But looking back, I, I find that the decision to follow after the Lord's commands, to care for those who aren't able to, well, it shouldn't have been that hard, but it sure was. Stepping out in faith to say, I want to become a foster parent, it railed against everything that my flesh wanted. I was done changing diapers. Wasn't sure I remembered how. The technology has not changed. I was ready to think about traveling. Ready to watch my older kids grow up and move away. But now, months later, I can't imagine I can't imagine how the months could have been more rewarding than they have been. I told Shelby I wouldn't be able to get through this without breaking down, so bear with me. I don't I don't cry well, so we'll see how we do. I can't imagine how the lives the months could have been better. They were hard. I've been yelled at and pooped on and called names, and I haven't been bitten yet. I was pooped on this morning, for Pete's sake. We have faced a great deal of heartache. But we've faced so much more joy. Following Christ's commands is always better. It's not always easier. He never promises that. In fact, he promises the opposite. But stepping out in faith and obeying where God is leading carries so much more reward than the alternative. Following your own way. Doing what your flesh desires. Doing what seems right to you. Scripture's full of places that say that is the road to destruction. That is the road to disheartening. So I ask the question, where is the Lord leading you to step out today? What miracle would he work in your life if you would trust and obey him? Is he asking you to forgive someone who's unforgivable? That's a command in scripture, but it's hard. Is he asking you to look at your budget and think about where you're giving your time and your, your treasure and your talents? 
Is he putting a lost friend or a relative on your heart that needs to hear the gospel, but you're afraid to go talk to him because it's hard, and they're going to look at you funny, and maybe they're not going to want to hear it. Maybe you'll make them mad. But we're called to share the gospel with those who need it. Where is he leading you to put you in a place of seeing his miraculous power on display? I submit that for each one of us here today, there's a place in our lives where he would work if we'd step one step further. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm of your own and there's fear and there's uncertainty and maybe you feel like he is not to be found. Maybe you brought troubles in this morning and you don't see Jesus in the midst of the waves and the dark and the wind. The disciples didn't see Jesus at first. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. They were terrified by the wind and the waves and the circumstances of their lives and they did not see him until they heard his voice. Take heart, it is I. And then everything changed. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Jesus remains in the middle of every storm. In the midst of every wind that blows, he is right in the middle of it. His thoughts and care for each one of us is greater than we can possibly imagine if we stop to look for him and hear his voice. If you feel like you are in a storm without Jesus this morning, my encouragement is take some time to listen for him. Find a few minutes to go get away to be by yourself with your father to hear him. He continues to speak. He continues to call out, it is I. Do not be afraid. He calls out to us through his word. Spend time there. He calls out to us through his spirit. Spend time in prayer. He calls out to us through the people that he's blessed us with. Spend time with the people who are part of your lives who can pray with you and for you. If you don't have anybody, come talk to me and I'll pray with you. Jesus remains in the midst of the storm and that's where he wants us to find him because that's when it's most real. The last point, I'll close with this. Remember where Jesus chose to walk. I've asked myself the question over and over again, why this miracle, Lord? You could have walked around the entire Sea of Galilee and not ever seen that boat. It's a big lake. It's four miles or six miles by 13 miles. He could have walked around. We see at the end of the passage that once he got in the boat, they were miraculously where they were going. He could have snapped his fingers and willed himself to be in Capernaum in bed and waited for the disciples to show up later. None of those things were what he chose to do. He chose to walk through the storm near enough to the boat that the disciples would see him there. Why? Well, we've already talked about the idea that I believe he wanted them to see his power on display, that they would never forget who they had in their midst. But I also submit that he wanted them to remember that he walked where he chose. In a few weeks, we are going to see Jesus walk into the city of Jerusalem, into harm's way. He will walk into the midst of men who will mock and accuse and beat him and who will kill him for no crime of his own but for our forgiveness 
Jesus could have chosen to walk away from that at any time. But through his great love for us, he chose to walk where we couldn't on our own. That we might be saved by his sacrifice. Folks, remember that Jesus chose to walk where he did for our sake. That we might bear the benefit of his forgiveness and grace and mercy that comes only through his shed blood for our sins. He didn't have to be there. But he loved each of us enough to go. And that's a walk to remember. And hopefully it's a walk that will encourage us today as we go away from here. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for walking, Lord Jesus, where we could not tread, both on the surface of the sea that we might see your power on display and on the road to Jerusalem to face the penalty that we could not pay. Lord, would you touch our hearts with those places where we need to step out in obedience to see you work in our lives? Would you bring people to mind that we're afraid to talk to, that we need to talk to because they need you? Lord, would you help us to marvel at the magnificence of who you are, Lord Jesus? I pray that you would Use these words in this time for your glory and your purposes. You are worthy of so much more than we can ever offer up because you love us so much. Help us to respond in love the same way, Lord. And bless us by your presence, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. Please stand.